We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Here on Green with Envy, we are still riding high from the Celtics advancing to the knockout round in the in-season tournament. We'll hit you with the latest updates from the tournament before they square off against the Indiana Pacers on Monday night. But before that, pretty big game this Friday versus the Sixers with an emphasis on big. Maybe KP will play, maybe he won't. Time for us to check in with the bigs and see if Brad should hold or maybe make a move. We have a couple suggestions. All that and more coming up next here on Green with Envy. Let's go! What up, what up, what up? Welcome into another edition of Green with Envy. As always, this is your boy Will. We are checking in. How you doing? How you living? Joining me today is my co-host from across the pond, the leader of the Taylor gang. It's the one and only Adam Taylor. What's popping, Adam? What's popping, good sir? What <laughs> is popping? I'm good, man. I'm good. Living life. Wearing my uh, any wrestling fans out there got an MJF t-shirt on today. You know, repping, repping. Uh, chilling, man. It's weird having like a couple of days between games and then knowing right. that after this game, there's a bit of a stretch, right? Where you're kind of left scratching your head like, dude, man, I'm waiting for the, I'm waiting to see Tyrese Halliburton get knocked out the IST. Like, that's well, how it's going, bro. It, here's the thing, man. It, it, it's weird because it's a little bit of the unknown, right? Like, now we know that there's a game Monday for, you know, for, for, against the Pacers for the in-season tournament. So, and of course, you know, real quick, I, I'd be remiss if I didn't do this. Got to do the Macarena, bro. You got to get down with what you got to get down with, man. No matter what you got. In-season tournament theme music. Still alive. Still alive. But it's a little <laughs> bit weird, right? Because Monday night, we know it's the Pacers. And then it's either off to Vegas. And then I'll be honest, I'm still not sure what happens if the Celtics lose. I think they play the loser of the other quarterfinal game. Do you actually know what happens if the Celtics lose? Who their other, who their final puzzle piece of the 82-game schedule would be? No clue. I don't know either. So we'll just figure that out next week. To be honest, though, I'm going to be really honest. I've come into this expecting the Celtics to win everything. And well, this, this is where we're at now, right? I and refuse is... to have a plan B. I just well, refuse. Here's the thing. So let's let's start here, Adam, because I want to get your thoughts on the in-season tournament because, you know, with, with the way that it's set up, we've been doing obviously a lot of recaps right after the game. And Greg and I have had our chance to give a lot of thoughts on the in-season tournament. And, you know, Greg, he's a black sheep optimist for a reason. Dude's been all in on, on the tournament from the very beginning. I was intrigued. I was interested. I was ready to see what happened. Definitely, this is all one meal. This has been a massive success for the NBA. And I think looking back on, on Tuesday night, you know, it, it was a whole hell of a lot of fun. I have a, I've never had as much fun keeping track of 30-point blowouts as I did trying to keep up with the Celtics and Bulls, seeing what's happening with the Knicks and the Hornets. And then checking in on, you know, the the Bucks and the Nets and Raptors game as well in the background. And so it just gave a really cool feel to what's typically a random Tuesday in November. But I'm curious, from your perspective, because we, we've talked about it before, how you kind of go through and, and watch these games. What are, you know, the morning when you wake up, which is the middle of the night for all of us that watch the game, you know, in live time. Has the in-season tournament hit 
as hard for you as seemingly it's getting glowing reviews from just about everybody, you know, right now there can of course be some tweaks made, but how has it been hitting for you? Yeah. The knockout game didn't have the same feel because the, the other games aren't live around it. So you're not having to do what you did where I'm kind of like, right, whatever happens in, cause obviously I don't have the scores on. I don't check socials beforehand. I'm like, whatever happens in this game, then I'm going to go and read about what happened everywhere else. So it's not the same. Um, that being said, I do like the intensity. I do like the fact that we're, and I wrote about this in the takeaways. Um, I do like the fact that we're at the end of November and you're already playing a win or go home game. Yeah. Like, I think that's so good for a team that for, for and multiple levels, right? I think that's really good for developing teams that don't have the talent to be in a playoff situation. They could still find themselves in a win or go home. And that's really good for that mentality development and et cetera. And then for a team like the Celtics where they've been there before, but now there's some new pieces that they haven't been in those situations together before. Well, by the time you get to the playoffs, they've already done that. Now that's done. We've been in a win or go home situation and we've proved that we can do what we need to do. So I liked it from that standpoint, big fan of the point differential. I know that's a big talking point between NBA yeah. players and stuff right now. Drew Holiday, Jalen had some, some interesting comments yeah. about feeling weird, respecting the yeah. game and stuff like that. What, what was your thoughts on those? On those I mean, them? I've always been taught, from like sports here and like you know the martial arts and stuff but from every sport i've ever done i've always been told the best way to respect your opponent is to never take your foot off the gas from start to finish like it doesn't matter if you're up by 5 10 20 30 the best way to show respect is to be like if i take my foot off the gas you're good enough to come back so i'm going to crush you as hard as i need to crush you to be done mm -hmm. right so for me pushing it when there's six minutes left and you're up 20, 25, that should be normal. That that shouldn't be frowned upon. You know, celebrating in people's faces, yeah, you can feel a certain type of way. You know, if, if there's two minutes left, you're up 20, and you're throwing alley-oops and then getting in people's faces like, oh, yeah. now you can feel some type of way, right? But if you're just executing... Or if you're hacking, DeAndre, if you're, if you're hacking Andre Drummond up I mean, 30. <laughs> I mean... I that mean, was a fucking move, man. That was a. I was dying while I was watching that. <laughs> and, and the thing was, and, and you know, Greg and I touched on it. Like, it that was probably slightly unnecessary. Understandably, why? Under I completely understand why Missoula did it, but especially where Zach Levine and DeRozan were already out of the game, the game with yeah. injuries. Like, you probably could have just d up with right? your main guys, just d up, and like, you know, you would have you would have been okay, but. Uh, the hacker drumming was a next level move by Joe. But you see, the competitor in me sees that as I, I can understand how people view it disrespectfully because it is in a way disrespectful. But there's a way where you can look at it, and the way I looked at it, and the way I would look at it if I was involved is we respect you so much that we think you could still turn this game or close that gap in the next few minutes. So we have to do what we need to do to limit your impact because we think you're a threat. Right. And the only way to do that is to put you at the line. So this leads me to kind of a thought I had listening to Drew Holiday and, and, and Jalen's comments. And, and I think maybe Tatum, the game before, or something might have had something to say about it as far as, you know, respecting the game and, and the way the game should be played. And, you know, what's been a massive issue? for this team for not just this season massive for this year might be a bit much, but it definitely was the last couple of years is they get these 15, 20 point leads in the second half and they let them dwindle away because they kind of take their foot off the gas. Yeah. So in my head, I had a little bit of a thought of maybe I'll have a little bit too much respect for, for some of these leads that you guys get. And maybe this is something that, you know, obviously there is a certain breaking point, but I think, Many Celtics fans would agree that over the last couple of seasons, there's been far too many games where you see all the telltale signs of seven, eight minutes left, Celtics up 15, 18, and they take their foot off the gas. And all of a sudden, holy shit, here we are, minute and a half left, and either we're putting the starters back in or we never got to take the starters out because we let up so much that now all of a sudden we find ourselves in a one or two possession game late that we never should have been in that position. And so it's interesting to hear these comments, knowing the problem that has persisted over multiple seasons for this team. So everything you've just said is pretty much exactly. And I like the fact that this lines up because I'm, I've got a feeling you haven't seen this video yet 
is exactly what Mazula said earlier today during practice, right? So he spoke to the media and he his words were, hopefully they can take this into games where they've got a lead and learn to keep their aggression. So I'm going to play that now. I've shared the screen. Um, hopefully everybody, everybody can hear it. It was the right thing to do. Uh, actually reminded me of a story. My dad played in Chile for five years and they played the same aggregate best of, uh, best of two score differential. My dad's team was up two seconds and the other team thought they needed to win by six. Um, my dad's team was winning, so they purposely scored on their own basket so they could force it into overtime and try and win by six. And so, uh, to me, it's like you, by any means necessary, within the rules. That's what I was gonna say. You do just tell you what the rules are, and you will play within that structure. And find gray areas along the way. Okay, so that video didn't have the bit that I needed in there, but he goes on to say, and you can find the quote. It'll be everywhere within the next hour yeah. or two. Um, you can find the quote, and it's kind of like. Hopefully we can take that mentality moving forward when we've got a lead and stop letting leads slip away down the stretch. And this is my outlook, right? Similar to yours. It's very much, I don't care how they feel like nice guys, nice sports. Like Michael Jordan wasn't a nice guy when he was on the court. Kobe Bryant wasn't a nice mm -hmm. guy when he was on the court. Even Dirk weren't really a nice guy on the court. You've got to be callous. There's got to be that that streak in you that's like, yeah, I don't care about how you feel. Like, if you, you lost, go cry. Go cry about it. You know what I mean? I'm going to stuff this ball down your throat. We're going to execute from start to finish, and whatever the score is at the end, the score is. I'm not a big fan of taking players off, like, garbage time and stuff. I'm not a big fan when that happens early in the fourth. I understand why you're managing minutes, you're reducing injury risks, you're giving developmental minutes. But I'm like, yo, just keep that foot on the gas, man. Run it up. But I grew up in a country where the entire league, like for soccer, the Premier League, the entire league has got goal difference, point differential. Yeah. You know what I mean? And you have to run that up. But that was always the way that I was brought up playing basketball um, mm -hmm. during like phys ed lessons. You run that shit up. And, and that's one of the things with the in-season tournament being its inaugural season. Like next year, this is going to be more of a known thing, right? And so teams are going to know. And I think especially when you look at probably the first one or two games of the in-season tournament, teams just didn't know what to expect, right? They're not used to playing under this format of like, oh, hey, this seven-point win that could have been 12, but we gave up a few extra buckets, like, whatever. We still got a seven-point win. Like, next year, they're going to probably view that a little bit differently. And I think you saw, you know, different teams realize that sooner than others in this tournament this year. Uh, and then, of course, you know, you ended up with, and this will be something that I think maybe they'll fix next year. Like if you look at just Tuesday night, you know, the magic were at a huge disadvantage already having wrapped up the group play. Right. So they're stuck at that number. So now going into it, the Celtics and Nets know exactly what they have to do and where they need to get to, or approximately, you know, what they need to do and where they need to get to. And so that's why their scoreboard watch I mean, keep running it up and running it up. But, you know, when you look back at some of those earlier games in the tournament, I'm not sure as many teams, viewed those end of games in the same manner some certainly did but i think next year that will be something that every team knows from the get-go you know and especially if it's going to be this you know short format because you mentioned like in soccer like across the entire season point differential might make a difference these are four games right so it's going to be really incredible fluctuations of what that plus minus looks like and what one game can do as you saw, the Celtics were net zero coming into the game and then beat the Bulls by the margin that they did and still just squeaked it out, you know, over the Nets who also beat the Raptors and almost, you know, they they were seven points away from this being the Nets in, into the next round and the Celtics, you know, are, are no longer playing. So I think it's going to be interesting to see how teams start to, you know, build off this first season and how they treat it into future years. Yeah, and I mean, look, even the discourse about it, even the players that are upset about it are still talking about it. And the more we talk about it, the more exposure it's getting. The yeah. bigger the player, the bigger the name. Having all-stars talking about it. Massive success champion. for the NBA. Shout out to it's Adam huge. Silver and the crew. Huge. Like, Listen, the courts, so bad, they're good. They worked. People talk like about them. People, yeah, it's it's for me, it's hit or miss, but at the same time, I'm talking about it and I'm tuning in. I know exactly what I'm tuning into. I think the scoring system and the point differential and tiebreakers and all that, that will get cleaner as we go forward. And now I think we got a really cool setup heading into Monday with the Celtics Pacers games. You got the Kings and Pelicans. That's a kind of weird matchup that I think is going to give more exposure to De'Aaron Fox. People yeah. love, you know, Zion's a big name that'll be in that. And then you look to Tuesday and you got the Bucks and Giannis, you got the Knicks who are going to, you know, 
it's it's the New York Knicks. Knicks fans are definitely going to be in. And then you get Lakers Suns. Like if the Lakers make it to Vegas, that's going to be a heavy Lakers fan base. That's going to be making that, you know, three, three, three and a half hour drive, whatever the hell it is, to go to Vegas and be like, hell yeah, let's let's go root on the Lakers and spend a weekend in Vegas. And maybe we end up with a Lakers Celtics first ever. That that to be honest, that's probably the wet dream of, of the NBA. <laughs> They're getting if they if they if they can get this to a Celtics, you know, a Celtics Lakers meaningful matchup in December and then follow that up with their Christmas Day game. Like that's a two week stretch of Celtics Lakers content that I know the NBA would be into. Joel, could you imagine 500 on the line for every player on the team and it's Celtics Lakers? I love it, man. That's it. That's, hey, that's that's what it could be. And like you said, they're they're in it now. So let's go fucking win it. So Celtics Pacers Monday night in Indiana. We'll have some more preview coverage for that leading up to it. So make sure you're locked in with us here on the YouTube. And I forgot to mention, make sure y'all get up on the Discord. Get in the Discord. We're having some fun there. Uh, we're going to answer some Discord questions here later in the podcast. But right now, Adam, let's take a quick break because excited as we are for the in-season tournament, there's still another game before we get there. Say that again? Just as an outro to the break. (laughs) Well, let's talk about Celtics Philly here for a second. We'll take a break, and then we'll come back, and we'll hit that. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, Adam. So in-season tourney coming up against the Pacers. Before that, we got to handle, we got to stand on a little bit of business here with the Philadelphia Sixers coming into town. And, you know, right now, when you look at, at these two teams, I, I think for me, you know, Philadelphia, they've fallen a little bit. They're still 12 and six, having a great season. Tyrese Maxey's having an all-star, all-NBA consideration, you know, type season. Joel Embiid's having another, just Joel Embiid season. It's, it's Joel Embiid. You know, we know what he does in the regular season. They're 12 and six. They're technically in fourth place in the East right now. Now Celtics 14 and four a little bit weird that this is the already third matchup between the Celtics yeah. and Sixers this early. I, I, it's kind of a, a scheduling quirk that I'm not a huge fan of. I wish there was another game between them February, March as they're kind of rounding into playoff form. But, you know, coming into this game, we don't know right now we're recording this on Thursday afternoon. We don't know if KP is going to be available. So I think that leads to an interesting question of what the big man rotation is going to look like for this game. So we want to focus the rest of this podcast around those big men. So let's start here on Friday, Adam. Knowing what you know about Joe Missoula's habits over the last year plus or so, what are you imagining that big man rotation, which we know Al is going to be starting, but what do you imagine behind Al that big man rotation is going to look like Friday night? See, so I feel like it's just going to be straight up Luke Cornett playing the owl role off the bench. I would kind of prefer it to be Quaita simply because whoever's coming off the bench is probably going to be having to deal with B-Ball Paul a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, he, You know, he's a high-energy guy. He hustles. He's quite physical. I don't think that's a matchup that works for Luke Cornett. I think that you could probably get more out of Quaita in that situation just because he's younger he's mobile he's got better foot speed he's tall he's the same height or a little bit taller stronger i feel like quater just matches up with b-ball paul a little bit better and i feel like his length 
and that additional foot speed gives you a little bit more to bother Joel Embiid. I just really don't think we see it because, unfortunately, look, Quater comes in with some physical attributes that actually make him a better fit for this game, in my opinion. But he's so raw and defensively, you know, um, he, he's a little bit of a liability sometimes because he's raw. You're going to mm-hmm. be able to get him to bite on fakes a little bit more. Um, he's going to foul more. I, I just think they stick with Luke Cornett. I don't. I, maybe you see five to eight minutes of Quayer. I think that's most likely this, the the scenario. And, and listen, you know, Greg and I touched on this. Uh, both of them are going to be mincemeat for for Tyrese Maxey. So that that's something yeah. I'm certainly worried about because that is, you know, especially in that drop coverage. And if you get, you know, Max is going to get them going left or right. They might, you know, twist over their own ankles by the time Tyrese Maxey's done with them the way that he's playing. But I'm with you in the sense that I would like to see the experiment, at least in the first half, maybe just to see what it looks like. Yeah give big Mimi that opportunity, you know, in that first half, because, you know, if it's against B-Ball Paul, you're kind of going athleticism for athleticism. So I'd like to see what that looks like. And then even if he's, you know, spotting Al for a few minutes in that first half against Embiid, he's going to have a better body type and athleticism matchup to attempt to guard Joel Embiid. He's certainly exactly. not going to stop Joel Embiid, no. but, but at least the, the attempt is there. And, and listen, you know, with that rawness, if he fouls a few times, so what? Like, like it's, it's, you know what I mean? Like I'm okay with that. He's only going to play a couple of minutes. And if it works, I I, I think, and this is the part where once again, it's a little bit annoying that this is the third time we're already playing the Sixers because you kind of got to try it now, or I don't know when their fourth game is, but that's it. And that's your last time you'll see Joel MB until potentially the playoffs. So I, I would like to see it just to get a small sample of if we need to go to Nimi in a in a situation where maybe KP rolls an ankle in a in a playoff series or Al Horford's out for you know a, a game or two with with back stiffness or whatever it might be you know not just because he's old but just it could happen you know whatever but like if that does happen we know Luke's consistently what we we already know what Luke's gonna bring right or not bring we kind of have that that down pat I think with Nimi this is a situation where I would like to see that experimentation. But more than likely, my expectation is that it will be kind of Luke in that mostly 10 to 15 minute role. Maybe there's a handful of Nimi, you know, a, you know, first to second quarter, he'll get like two, three minute run. But I think it's going to be mostly Al and Luke, as you said, as kind of the big man mix for Friday. But I think that leads us into where we wanted to take this discussion. And that's, you know, without KP, we're getting a, a larger or a small sample size, but at least a look, a larger look at what the true depth of this big man rotation is and it's still early but it gives you a better idea of what the celtics might need if they are to make a move which it feels like at some point in the season brad has just enough assets to make at least one move for this season and so we've had a caruso discussion a couple of weeks ago and that's still something that's going to be lingering out there because that's that's going to be a costly move it, it's one that i think obviously there's a lot of benefits to but it is going to be costly so when you look at the big men let's let's first start with Nimi and with luke let's start with the good what what are the good things that you like about Nimi and luke as the as the depth pieces to al and kp yeah so for me the good is i think that Luke Cornett plays his um, position and his role really well, but he has good games. You know what I mean? He's a, he's a willing screener. He's a good screener. He can finish around the rim. He he puts a hundred percent effort in. He's actually a good pick and roll defender as a drop guy. Um, you know, uh, he doesn't really get blocks, but he does impact shots. Mm-hmm. Um, Nimi for me is just a project guy. If you do convert because you know, he's not going to be available for the postseason as a two way guy. So he, if you do convert him, to be available for the postseason, it's a super cheap deal. You can feel confident. And, about and it. to be and sorry to cut you off, but that's probably why we've seen some limited Nimi, right? Because mm-hmm. he only has X. I forget what the availability is they on that two way now. Yeah, I think it's yeah, exactly. So he has more, but the more you play him, the more you have to think about actually converting him and taking up that full roster spot. Yeah, it used to be forty five days. Um, and then I think they've upped it to sixty games. Um, if I'm not mistaken, I may be wrong on the number. But yeah, for me, like those are the good. I think that both of them give you size, and Boston clearly values size and length with the way this roster's constructed. Both of them give you hustle. They work hard. They stick to their roles. That's 
I mean, that's the nicest yeah. thing I can say. No, I mean, I, I think you nailed it, right? Because it's 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 Luke gives you consistency, right? You know what you're getting from Luke. There's, of course, probably a ceiling to it, but at the same time, you feel comfortable with what you're getting. And, you know, he's, he's played really well over these last couple of games. You know, him and Derek White had a great connection for a stretch during that Chicago game with the different pick and rolls back-to-back, you know, Derek White to Luke Cornett. And so you know that he has a feel for this team. And then with Nimi, like you said, he's he's a project. So, you know, we all got excited. It was really fun watching him a couple games ago against the Hawks get that run and be able to, you know, be a monster on the offensive re- on the offensive boards and just, you know, 10, 12 minutes to play, whatever he had, had six rebounds, some of them off his own misses, to be fair. But he was in the right place. He was making the right decisions. And it, and it was exciting to watch. It was something different, right? And he's just a presence with how with how big he is. But then that kind of leads to the downsides where you do have to look at you know, given KP's injury history, given Al's age, you know, it's a long season. This is a marathon. This is not a sprint. And so when you look at, okay, let's let's say we have a big moment in the regular season or, you know, early on or sometime in the postseason, if one of these guys needs to step up, are either of them the guy to do that? Because Al and KP are going to need some type of, of depth assurance. And that's where it's it's really hard to see that if in a big spot you only have Al or you only have KP and this is the only depth that you have at, at the big man spot, I don't know that it's quite enough. And that would be the one of the few little worries that I have for this team early in the season. Yeah, I like to call it regular season depth. Like, for sure. If you need one of them to step up in a regular season, yeah, okay. We can be like... We, it's not going to be pretty, but they'll get the job done, right? Now, if you're in a seven-game playoff series and you're two games in, and now you need one of them to step up and help close out a series, no, that's not the depth that's going to be conducive to a championship, right? Mm-hmm. And I know that Blake Griffin was limited when he was with the Celtics last season. Like, you know, age had got to him. He wasn't as explosive. But he has so much experience. He, the way yeah. he could flip the angles on his screens, the way that he could slide his feet to stay in front of faster guys, just came from years of being in the league and playing in big games. Corner and Quater don't have that. They don't have that experience. They're not, they can't go back to, well, this is how I, like, you know, these are the environments I've been in before and this is normal to me. They're going to have the nerves because they're not used to this type of environment. Then they're going to be playing against increased, like, intensity and aggression. Uh, Quater would just foul out in four minutes because he'd just be clotheslining everybody. You know, um, Cornette, as good as, like, as reliable as he is, because he is reliable, you know what you're getting from him. He, I just think he's a, a step below where you'd want that third big to be. Yeah. In, in a big game, if you have Luke Cornette for seven to nine minutes, you can get by with that. Yeah, you're fine the, with that. The issue is if he needs to play 15 minutes 15 to 18 in in a game where you only have al or kp and god forbid they get in foul trouble whatever like that's when you can find yourself in trouble so let's do this adam i know we each brought at least one name here that potentially could be a target you know around the league for the celtics to look at as an upgrade or as an addition to have multiple options for this depth so lead us off here what's the name that you're looking at around the league that you think could be a good option for the celtics to look at Hacker Drummond, Andre Drummond. <laughs> uh, I, I've been, if you followed me on social media for long enough, you'll know that I've been completely against acquiring Andre Drummond in the past. That was when Brad Stevens was coaching. It's when Ime was coaching. And it's when the Celtics ran a straight switch one through five defensive system. Mm-hmm. Made no sense, right? You don't go and get a drop defender when you switch one through five. Never made sense to me. I don't know why. It was a talking point. Now, though, you're playing drop defense. What you need really, what are the Celtics really like focusing on defensively and offensively? Crashing the glass, controlling the boards. What do they need more than anything? A physical presence that when teams like Miami come in and punch you in the mouth, when Orlando come in and start roughing you up, you can inject a big body in there that isn't afraid to be physical, isn't afraid to really enforce his strength on people. Drummond fits that. He's also got good size. Again, he does have questionable basketball IQ. He does make some boneheaded decisions. The difference is the role you saw him play for Chicago isn't the role he'd have in Boston unless we were in that emergency situation Mm -hmm. we just discussed. And I'd feel much better about plugging Drummond in there 
with God, I haven't looked with hundreds of games of NBA experience, experience of being a starting center, a dominant glass cleaner, then I would plug in Luke Cornett in there. So Drummond is my option. Yeah, I mean, I think from an experience standpoint, that that certainly makes sense. I've never been a huge Andre Drummond fan. You know, it's it, it, the, the, listen, he's a hell of a rebounder. You can't deny that. No matter what else you want to say about Andre Drummond, the dude knows how to get rebounds. You know, I, I think for me, though, you know, and you're right, they have had more of that that drop scheme. And it's... It's tough, right? Because I don't think, uh, to me, Andre Drummond isn't really enough of a of a changeup. I'd almost probably prefer the steadiness of Luke Cornett. If I'm being if I'm being honest, like, I think I'd I'd probably stick with the steadiness. Knowing just because I one thing that I really do enjoy about Luke's game, he has a really high basketball IQ, right? So yeah. e even if you find him in the short roll or the different screens he needs to set. Andre Drummond is is just a little bit more plodding, is a little bit slow, more I mean, not, that, not not that Luke's quick by any means, but <laughs> it, it ends up like that quick decision making. Like Luke is 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 good, is quick in that sense. Yeah, uh, at least quicker compared to you know Andre Drummond. And so it, for me, like I I see where you're going with this. And, and another thing that I think we have to factor into this conversation is realistic targets are are going to be cheap. Like, right, you have to look at the contracts and what the Celtics would be sending out. You know, Andre Drummond's only about 3.2, 3.3 million. So that's so pretty easy, up. like the myriad of, of $2 million contracts. But Celtics basically have about five guys at the end of the bench all making $2 million. They also have a TPE worth around $6 million from the Grant Williams sign and trade over the summer. So they have multiple options that would make it fairly easy to acquire Andre Drummond. Uh, because of the cost would be so low, because I don't, need, he might be one second round pick at most if you wanted to use a TPE or maybe even you know because he does have a, a second year, which I don't know if that's a I think it's a player. That's option. this year. He's in the second year. He's now. in the second year. Okay, cool. So he's an expiring contract, so maybe even you know the the Bulls are cool with a flyer on you know you send out Lamar Stevens or somebody who's not really playing much or whatever yeah. it might you know. So there's a lot of easy ways to get that done. I'm lukewarm on the prospect of Andre Drummond, but the cost is so low that it's pro that like if if you're feeling like it could be a move, then you can take a swing at that without having to worry about you know. For me, it's your the physicality, right? It's it's just adding a physical presence in the middle, and I feel like what we've seen with this Celtics team is one of their biggest weaknesses is rising to that physicality and not mm -hmm. letting themselves get. You know, I don't like the term bullied, but. I'm yeah. really struggling for a better well, a better terminology. So not letting himself get bullied, not letting himself get pushed around. I think Drummond is the type of guy you can just inject in and he's going to be setting really tough screens. He's going to be implementing some physicality back for you. Yeah. And that could start like in games where it's too physical with Miami, with the Miamis of the world, the Orlandos of the world. He could be the guy that kind of levels that playing field. And mm -hmm. to me, that's more important than the additional foot speed because you're only injecting him in for so many minutes. And then, right. like I said, if he does need to step into a bigger role, he's got the experience to fall back on. And he's got that kind of that size where he's at least a, not like he's a shot impactor, right? He's going to make mm -hmm. guys think twice about how they approach their shots. A little bit of a deterrent. Whereas uh, Luke Cornet is more of a, you know, he's just there. He's a cone. Yeah. No, absolutely. That's that, that's totally fair. And so, as long as teams aren't, as long as he's not out there where teams can initiate the hack of Drummond against us, Yo, then I no. think we'll be okay. Because you don't you don't want to be in that situation. We saw we saw the other night. That's not gonna that's not gonna work out too well. Um, okay, so let, let me go to to someone that that I wanted to bring to the table here, and uh, I'm gonna go to a trade partner that the Celtics had recently. Let's go to Memphis. I think Memphis is a really interesting team because obviously they have stink stank stunk this year right like they are in their they're, they're down in a bad way they're down they're down in the poo poo toilet that's damn right they're four and 13 this year still waiting on you know another handful of games before John ja Morant even comes back so who knows you know what their record is going to be by the time Ja goes back they got no Steven Adams they got no Brandon Clark their Marcus Smart has been out for the last couple weeks like it's it's just really grim in Memphis but they have a compilation of guys that fit into, for me, when I look at the Celtics front court, I feel like there's a Grant Williams size hole, right? I think I think there 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 is a guy like that that even if Joe Mazzulla was reluctant to go to Grant for whatever reason, there were times where even he stubbornly last year would say, "Okay, this is a Grant moment. I gotta go to Grant here," right? And we don't really have that option. We don't have a small ball. 
five option that we can play with right now. We don't have kind of that. And, and Blake Griffin fit into this mold too, that stockier, thick guy that you can throw out there that can kind of muscle around, like you said, that could, you know, still also, you know, be a small ball five, but also play alongside Al Horford or play alongside KP. So when I look to Memphis, there's two guys that I really like, one of which I think really fits the description. I think he's the more attainable of the two guys that I really like. And so I'm going to go to Xavier Tillman. I think Xavier Tillman is a guy that I would love to see on the Celtics and a guy that I think would actually, if he's on this team, would find a way to get minutes on a nightly basis. Like I think he would supplant Luke Cornett and Luke Cornett's on kind of a semi-nightly basis out of 18 games. Luke Cornett's appeared in 13 with Tillman. You know, he, he's out right now with a knee injury, so you kind of got to wait for him to come back and, and see how how that shakes out. Hopefully, you know, from reports, it looks like he's getting closer and closer to returning. But this is a guy that has fluctuated from the bench to part-time starter, filling in for Jaron Jackson, Stephen Adams, and he's done so admirably. Every time that he's been in that, that lineup, like, he has found a way to produce. And most importantly, he's on an expiring contract. He costs around $2 million, and mm-hmm. the Grizzlies have a logjam of him, David Roddy, Kenny Lofton, Santi Aldama, who would be the other guy that I would love. But I don't think they're going to trade him. Santi Aldama, I think, is, you know, I have a big man crush on Santi Aldama from a role-playing standpoint, so that sounded pause on that. Oh, my God. That was, that was <laughs> such a pause. Jesus Christ. Um <laughs> <laughs> but I don't think I don't think Sandy, <laughs> I don't think Sandy Aldama in apparently my wildest dreams uh, is going to become available. So I think if the Grizzlies aren't gonna, aren't going to sign Tillman and bring him back on any type of extended deal because they still have Stephen Adams has a year left. Brandon Clark, when he comes back from injury, I'm trying to get through this. Uh, Brandon Clark still has multiple years on his contract. There's just such a log jam that if they can get an asset, which would maybe be one or two second round picks, you could use the TPE. You could use any of those $2 million contracts from Brissett to Stevens to Svee to, you know, there's a Banton. There's a few other guys that you could use as well. I think it's an easy deal to get done for the Celtics if the Grizzlies are open to it. And I think he really fits a, a need that the Celtics don't have right now. I went off screen so you could get through it without me. I appreciate like, it. I without appreciate me messing it. with you, man. <laughs> um, first of all, you mentioned the name on the, the Grizzlies that I like, and I feel like he, I feel like he's going to keep improving and he'll be a good rotation player. I, I'm a fan of Kenny Lofton. Okay. I, I like I like Lofton's play. I am a Tillman guy too, though. I do like Xavier Tillman. Um, that's a name I hadn't really considered for Boston, but now that you've said it, I kind of like that more than Drummond. Yeah, I mean, I just think he fits that. You know, he can yeah. play the small ball five. He can play next to you know Al and KP because of the spacing that they provide. You know, he's a guy that you know he he, he puts up pretty solid every time he gets called upon. He puts up solid numbers. He was starting uh, this year before he got injured, I believe. So he started five games for the Grizzlies. Yeah, I'm just but, looking now. Yeah, and I mean, you know, he's typically playing between about 15 to 20 minutes a game, and he's pulling in, you know, five rebounds, six rebounds. So he's a guy that's going to bring a little bit of physicality, and he's used to that kind of fluctuating role. And so he's on an expiring contract, so he knows that if he comes in and is successful, that's only going to help his value in the offseason when he gets to be a full-time free agent. Do you know what's interesting? Looking at his numbers, and obviously it's a, we're back to the early season, it's a small sample right, size. Yeah, he, he's been hurt too, so it's even smaller, yeah. He's taking, what, two point, all of his shot attempts, 2.9 a game, were coming from deep. Over his career, he's been a 28%, 28.9% three-point shooter. Comes at averaging 0. Let's go 0. 0.7 yeah. shot attempts from deep per game. 0. 0.8, sorry. This season, he's taking 2.9 and converting it what 35%? 35%? Yeah, so he's like, upped it. So, I mean, it's once again is like, that consistent? Is that replicable? Because if it is, now all of a sudden you really fit the Celtics mold of being able to operate on the perimeter, run some delay, mm-hmm. a- delay, delay actions. Don't know yeah. what happened to me then. Um, you know, he's he's quite quick on his feet, he can switch, he can drop. He's got decent size, as you said, can slot in as a, as a small ball, can also slot in kind of just as a, a de facto center. I like him. I think that Memphis run a very fluid system. I think when they're at their best, right now nothing's mm-hmm. fluid. There. It's completely somebody came in and just destroyed whatever was going on there. Some <laughs> Marcus Smart haters will definitely be saying Marcus is the guy that came in and destroyed it. 
I don't agree. I mean, but... I think it's, I think they're just they're injured, man. I mean, Steven Adams yeah. is their heart and center. John Morant suspended for for twenty five games. Marcus went out. I mean, they didn't have a good start to the season. I mean, he went out. Six, the Celtics were missing ago, two like... starters and didn't skip a beat. So what does that tell you? It tells you Boston's <laughs> badass. Um, okay, I'm bragging. I'm being silly. But no, seriously, I think you could plug T- Tillman into this and be completely fine. I do like Santi Aldama. I do agree that he's more unattainable. I don't mm-hmm. think Memphis would be willing to part with him. Yeah, I do want to point out another Grizzlies player that's been floated in Celtics discussions comes from Michael Scotto of um, Hoops Hype. Um, super plugged in, so if he's reporting it, it's legit. Um, is John Concha? Uh, yeah, I don't get it. I'll put it up on my Instagram, and one of the comments that I got made me giggle. It made me chuckle. It was like, yo, we're just adding to that white bench with more. <laughs> <laughs> that's really, that's really what it feels like. And I feel yeah. like everyone's going to be like, oh yeah, John Conchar, let's just bring him in for, you know, we, we need more shooting off the bench. But like John Conchar is, you know, he's an okay shooter, right? Like, is, is he really, yeah. he shot last, last year in a pretty large sample size. He's shot 34%. He's shooting 32% this year, you know, like he's very good in terms of movement. Like he's a good off ball mover can defend a little bit i'd much rather go for tillman over contra i'd much oh, rather go for Lawson jr over contra i i would too and, that, and that's why i think because there's the the roddy the lofton the tillman santi probably not but there's three different options that potentially you know seeing where things keep shaking out with with memphis that you could look to and, and at least talk yourself into like there's opportunity there because some of those guys are expiring. They can't play them all. They, they, they're going to have to move those guys at some point. And, you know, especially Tillman for me, because he's, if they're not going to bring him back, because they have another year of Adams, they've got three or four more years of Brandon Clark once he's recovered. You still have Jaron Jackson. Like, if they, if they, if they do like Santi Aldama, he has one more year and they might give him a contract. Like, they, they're paying Bain big money. They're paying Ja big money. They're paying Jackson big money. They're paying, you know, Marcus Smart the next couple of years. Like, they, they're going to have to make a decision. And so, if you can get Tillman for even if it's a one year rental for a second round pick, maybe two second round picks, use the TPE, keep your roster as is, like, that's a massive home run. Now, I think there will be a bunch of teams in on him. But I do think whatever the bidding war for Xavier Tillman is, is going to be substantially less than that bidding war for a guy like Alex Caruso. So I think that's also something to to weigh is that whatever it's going to cost, like that that's going to play a role in this as well. And, and who knows with, with like Kenny Lofton what it could be. But going back to the John Conchar move, yeah, I, it I don't does, get it. it. It literally does nothing for me. That's, that's I mean, kind of I will I mean. say, I will say that I like to rationalize this by reminding myself that we recently lived through the NS Cantor Freedom years twice, <laughs> and we've come through that, and now we're, like the Celtics are a more cohesive big man yeah. unit. Yeah, I want the upgrade, but yeah, it could be worse. You could be bringing NS off the bench. Um, I like Tillman. I like Drummond for the physicality. I like Lofton Jr. just because he reminds me of Grant in a way. Uh, I don't really know who else there is around the league that's big. So here's so here's one, and this one would be probably too much, but but uh, we had a comment on on YouTube about it from uh, shout out to King Collins. What about bringing back Kelly Olynyk? It's it's a little expensive. Oh, yeah. It it takes a lot to get there. You're definitely sending Peyton Pritchard out in that trade, just so you know. And and that's not necessarily a deal breaker, but it's Peyton Pritchard plus three of those two million ish guys and probably a little bit of draft capital and he's expiring. So I, I, I think it's an interesting idea. I think Kelly fits a lot of what we're talking about. I just think it's going to be a little bit more difficult to get to that 12 million ish range. Yeah. And then you're in a position of now you need to go out and find a point guard to replace Pritchard and you don't have the trade assets to go and acquire one. Right, exactly. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, so, so that, it's, that's it's kind probably of the only downside for me. Like, I like Olenek, and I think out the three guys we've just discussed, Olenek fits what they need the best. And mm-hmm. uh, he you know, he, he's got experience in Boston, presses on the bench, so we can reignite that little enlarged love story there, pause. Um, and we can, we'll be all right, but the fact that then what are you going to do convert jd davison to a full-time deal and jd davison yeah. backup guard and like he's good but he's raw and he's not ready yet and he's not going to give you the floor space in the pritchard you can't expect pritchard him to play to in a postseason at this point right like you, no, you're not going to be able to no. trust him it, th- that would have to be you know and, and you know it's been interesting the last couple of games uh you know missoula's been been kind of riding with banton a little bit here so that would have to yeah. really develop into a place where you're like okay 
we're going to keep Banton out of this. We're going to trade Peyton and, and Banton. You're the new third guard, which, you know, defensively, I think that holds up. And he's been solid in the last couple of games. He's played nothing spectacular, but he's been solid. So see how that develops. But, but I think again, that one's like, a little bit more of a reach. I think Pritchard is capable of not winning you a game, but boost, like changing the momentum of a game. I think Pritchard can right. do that in the playoffs or in the regular season because he's just that type of microwave scorer off the bench. I think with Banton, you're not going to get that same upswing where and you, the downswing is just is probably heavier than what Pritchard's is. Do you know what yeah. I mean? Because Banton's still a bit raw. You. I like the idea, but I'd still rather stick with Pritchard unless you were getting back a guard. You, you were packaging a couple of guys to get a Linux and a guard, but then the money don't work. And so yeah, I just think so it's, it's, too, it's just a tough break. Yeah. Too much, too much gymnastics. Cap gymnastics is not for me. I'm not that guy. You're not yeah. that guy, pal. You're not no, that not that guy. Probably not going to happen, but definitely an interesting name out there. Let's, uh, let's take our last break of the show here, Adam. And then let's hit a couple of discord questions. Once again, Make sure y'all just tap into the Discord. We'll hit that next. Tap, tap, tap in. All right, Adam. Let's uh, let's dive in here. And, and once again, make sure if y'all want to join the Discord, have some direct connections with myself, Adam, Greg, with other fans of the podcast. We're having a good time. We got a great Discord that is up and running. It's a growing community. We're going to be doing more and more stuff uh, with them. And one of them is going to be getting some direct feedback and making sure that they're involved directly into some of the production here that we have going on with the show. So with that, we got a couple of questions that, that we want to get to here. So let's first jump in with a shout out to our guy Jacob Ramirez shout out to you we know you've been hanging with us here for a minute so let's go with this question that he has here who has been the most important player in Boston's early season success Adam Jason Tatum tell me why I don't know I was just saying Jason no jokes aside post play I think that Jason Tatum's adaption to playing more in the post playing out of the post more facilitating from the post the actions that boston have run into put him there and then the way that's forcing defenses to shift over and not leave guys open but sometimes lose track of guys on the weak side that has been huge now i'm going to give a two-part answer here because yeah. i also think that another part of the reason why tatum's feeling more empowered to work in that post is because of Kristaps porzingis's presence you know, Porzingis is keeping that floor stretched. He's that big guy that really can just go lights out from deep. And then obviously he's gone for a bit of a cold spell before he got hurt. But I think Porzingis being in the rotation and how much he's pulling the defense to stretch them, then allowing Tatum to go into the post and manipulate things from there. So I will say Tatum has been the most important player to the Celtics early success. But then I think Porzingis has had a marginally lower very marginally we're talking like less than how much you'd spread butter on bread you know <laughs> less than that amount uh, of, a, of a decrease in terms of impact as well yeah, you get a little bit of butter right when it's hot let it kind of sit a little yeah. bit yeah and, and like and it's always a thin layer right so we're talking the margin of difference is thinner than the layer of butter you would have spread on the bread that's how thin of uh, a margin we're talking say that again the margin margarine of difference you see, see what i'm going there margarine margarine of, of different yeah did yeah. you see the one i put on slack the other day when i was like i just want to see how much um chicago can drum and up yeah uh, i did see that i did see that yeah we're getting old man we're getting old with these jokes <laughs> dad jokes bro uh, dad jokes so I, I agree with everything that you said there you know i think chris Dapps from being you know the impact that he's had he's he's definitely probably the so the word is important, I guess, that we're, we're focusing on here. If the word was impact, I think I would go Chris Dapps, Porzingis, because I think yes. he affects everything that happens on the offense, defense. Like, it, it blows my mind the amount of looks that we get at times with him on offense, and it's, a lot of it's built off his ability to play out of the post, to roll, to be a little bit of that vertical spacer, of course, the spacing he gives you. There's just so many different ways that, that you could look at it. For me, I'm going to go with Derek White. And it, listen, I, I think you could go with a, a couple of guys here. Derek White, for me, he, and we've said this before about him when he was traded here, we said it last year, he just connects everything, right? And so a lot of times early in the season, we've talked a lot about Jalen Brown and trying to figure out, you know, when he needs to be aggressive, when he needs to kind of take a back seat, when do we go to this or that? Derek White is the guy that seen, that like seamlessly fluctuates between whatever his role needs to be 
night to night, mm-hmm. possession to possession, quarter to quarter, and he's excelling while doing it. He's averaging just under 14 points. He's got five assists per game. We know he's averaging, you know, basically two stocks per game, steals and blocks combined. Uh, and he's just he he's just so reliable each time that he's out there, and he can have a game where he's six points, two rebounds, three assists. And you could walk away being like, damn, Derek White had a fucking impact on that game tonight, right? <laughs> or or he could get red hot and have 25 points and, and seven assists and three steals. And you're like, he's everywhere. So he can have that wide range. And I think because he's willing to fluctuate his, his output night to night across that stat line, he, for me, is the most important player in the sense of this team reaching its full potential. Because I think it's a lot harder... And he's making it as easy as possible for the guys like Holiday, who's a two-time All-Star, like KP, who at once was a franchise cornerstone, for the Jays, who are the franchise cornerstones of the Celtics, Tatum's All-NBA you know, MVP That's level. Derek White yeah. makes their lives easier by kind of taking as much off their plate as needed or stepping up when, when that needs to happen as well. So I think for me, when I look at importance, I'm going to lean into to Derek White, although I definitely don't disagree with the Jason Tatum or Chris Dapsworth's answer to it. Yeah, I've got no bad words to say about anything you've just said. Like Derek White is the ultimate connector. I yeah. think that's the best way to put it, right? And I like to call it scaling. You know, scale your production up in terms of scoring when you need it. Scale it down when you don't. Scale up your rebounding when it's needed. Scale it down and when you don't. And I said this over... I did a podcast with S. Um, over yeah, S's I enjoyed that, by the way. I listened to it this morning. I enjoyed it. Oh, I appreciate you. I said this over there, but like I like to always look at the way Lakers fans view Austin Reeves and the way Austin Reeves plays. Mm. And he is a light version. If we're going, if we're sticking with the butter um, analogies right now. He's a low sodium light version. No, because that's heart healthy. I can't okay, believe he's it's not Derek White. Version. There we go. He's a. I, I didn't see. I would have said that, but I didn't know you had. I, don't, I can't believe it's not butter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> so uh, it is. A, I can't. I can't believe it's not Derek White. They're very similar in terms of their connection, their, their connective abilities. Derek White's mm-hmm. just on a completely different stratosphere. You know, the, the, he he's the son of this whole connection. Everything kind of revolves around how Derek White kind of fits in night to night. Um, I do see some similarities there, but I do think that, as you said, impact. Uh, you know, if I'd been asked who the most impactful player was, Derek White probably would have been my answer. Yeah, and it's funny because you know, then I would have probably switched to Chris Dapps for Zingas. So, and it's yeah, funny how you know. you, you could easily make a case for both. But definitely shout out to our guy Jacob. Chris Dapps for is Riz game as well. Yeah, he was looking young fly. Now. We have oh to my say God. Riz. Yeah, Yo, uh, I only learned I mean, what Riz was three days ago, four days yeah, ago. Yeah, I think earlier this season uh, when when Shams got caught up in a, in a Riz game with uh, what's her name, Kay Adams, I think from like, yeah from uh, I forget the not the Athletic, but whatever whatever show that they're on. That's where I first learned. I was like, what the fuck is Riz? So I had to had to do a deep dive there and, and figure out what that is. But yeah, it's KP just was swag, right. It was like charisma. I, I, I think it's literally short for charisma. Yeah. Riz. So like like flirting, whatever. I don't know. That's oh, that, that, no. that's a young man's game. That that's 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 not we old now. We we yeah. like we. we we watched out. We 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 way out of the Riz game at this point. So <laughs> that's uh that's definitely for the young men out there. Shout out to y'all and young ladies out there. Do you think? Uh, but all right, let's do one more question here from the Discord. Shout out to Jacob for that question. Uh, let's go to John here. And, and Adam, I'm going to lean into you on this one. You know, you and Greg are are more of our X's and O's experts here on the show. But the question that John has is, which actions that we run at a high volume do you like the most? Yeah, I mean, I want to preface this by saying they don't really run actions as much as they run... Well, they run actions, but a lot of what they do is Mm -hmm. principle-based. So early offensive principles, maybe you go 21, maybe you go wide actions, which I like to call quick actions. Every team runs Zoom actions, known as Chicago. Uh, One thing that the Celtics run a lot of, and they ran more of it last year, but they've kind of like fluctuated with the usage, is Spain action, Spain pick and roll, which is... A normal pick and roll with a back screener on the screener's defender. So whoever's, say, Luke Cornett, okay, say Chris Stapps is the screener. Whoever's defending Chris Stapps is getting back screened by a shooter. So then as the roll man rolls off, the, you get some contact, and then the screen man pops out to the three-point line. What the Celtics are doing, though, is they're not really popping that shooter out. What they're doing is they're setting really stern screens, and it's killing the defensive recovery on the roll. 
and it's forcing guys to kind of rotate over from the weak side. There's no one there to tag. So what happens then is you're getting a lot of open looks on the interior or you're getting short roll offense to attack the low man on the weak side that's rotating over to then redirect the ball back out. There's some plays with Al Horford getting kickouts from it, kicking out from the uh, from the nail. There's mm-hmm. plays that have got like... um. I think Jason Tatum's had a lob off it. I think Chris Stapps has had a couple of finishes. So that's probably my favorite in terms... It's kind of like um, a variance of a Spain pick and roll. I also like they're running a lot of slice actions, which is a back screen on the wing. And that's it. It's literally yeah. just a rip screen on either wing. And they're running those to get Tatum post-ups. They do it a lot out of sideline, out of bounds plays. Uh, that's just putting Tatum in good position. Sometimes Tatum will curl up at an exit screen on the weak side or do whatever they're throwing in. But a lot of it's principle-based. It's screening and creating opportunities. And then if that doesn't work, you run into actions from there. I'd like them to run more Ricky with Jalen Brown. What's Ricky? Um, You get a screen for a cutter. So Jalen Brown will cut from the wing towards the paint. It doesn't have to be in a diagonal. I'm just using it as an example. So he'd get a screen. And then he would turn and reuse that screen to get back out of the paint. So he drags his defender in and then sprints back to slam his defender into the screen. Now he can either attack again while his defender's fighting over, so his, his defender's discombobulated, ankles are hurting, or he can just pull up and shoot. Yeah. So they ran that a little bit against the New York Knicks, and Jalen got cooking with it um, with some rookie actions. They haven't really used it since. I'd like some stampede actions more as well, mm-hmm. which is literally just... When you're cutting, you catch the ball while you're already moving. That's called a stampede action. Get Jalen Brown on them stampede cuts, baby. Uh, yeah, that, I mean, I, I mean, honestly, I'm going to leave the X's and O's to, to to you and Greg with the different set calls. But you know, one thing that does feel like is certainly open there from whether they're working the ball through uh, the post or the mid post is you know if we have the guys that are making the correct cuts on that baseline, you're getting a lot of looks from yeah. just from just drawing that defensive attention away from the basket, whether it's focusing on maybe they have to try and double Chris Stapps or double uh, you know Jalen or Jason or whatever it might be or and then they got to focus on the attention that Sam Hauser is pulling you know you're seeing different guys be able to cut baseline get some easy looks uh, I think for me I just I'm just enjoying watching you know especially when KP's out there watching that JB and KP two-man game develop for me is, is one of my favorite things to watch because you know we've touched on it before you need, you know, if you end up in a game seven situation again, which is going to, you know, haunt us when Jason Tatum goes out in that very first play. I, th- I think people don't remember a lot. Malcolm Brogdon, which, you know, say what you will about Malcolm Brogdon, he was supposed to be that other guy that can get his own shot. He also wasn't in that game. So that's a that's a very big part of it. But, you know, Jason Tatum goes down is clearly just not Jason Tatum after the, the first play of the game. Now, depending on how this develops with Jalen Brown and Chris Stapps, like that could have been something that you go to and you can lean on and say, we yeah. have a dynamic threat with our you know, second and third best players that we can lean on and go to and get a mismatch and go get buckets and find a way to generate offense where it's not just, you know, hey, Jalen, you got to step up and start doing some one-on-one and that turns into eight turnovers. You know, like, like as yeah. much as Jalen wants, as much as Jalen got a lot of criticism, like part of that is, he kind of had to force the issue at that point, right? Like, because there is no yeah, Malcolm no Brogdon. Yeah. There is Jason Tatum's hurt. And then it became him and Derek White and, and, and Marcus Smart. Like, it, you know, it was a mess. It was a mess and it didn't work. But that's where I love seeing the early season development of, of really focusing on that two man game with KP and JB. So, you know, we'll see. Maybe KP's back against Philly. Maybe he's back against Indiana. We'll stay tuned for that. But, uh, yo, shout out to everybody in the Discord. We appreciate you guys sending in those questions. Uh, we're going to be hitting those, you know, not every episode, but just about. We're going to make sure that we're working those in. So make sure that if you are listening and you haven't yet, go join the Discord. Let us know where you found it. We'll tweet out, you know, different at different times where you can find uh, the link. But it's in the description. It's in the description on all of our YouTube videos, in the description of all audio forms of the podcast. And then go check the links in our bios for Adam, for myself, for Greg, for the Green MB pod. You'll find them there. Come join. It's a blast. We're having a good time. Adam, did you have a good time today? I did. I did. And just I just want to note that Discord is free. We're not trying to take yes. any money off anybody. It, it's free, you know. Come, come, come chill, man. Yeah, if you guys want to send us some money, that's cool too. Nah, I'm just playing. Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to say no to money. <laughs> we won't say no. We won't, we won't say no. But yeah, come hang out. The Discord is free. Uh, 
we got some really great content coming up here uh, in the next week or so leading up to the in-season tournament and beyond. So make sure that you are locked in with us. That will do it for this episode of Green with Envy. And on the way out, for those of you listening to the audio form, you are going to hear some type of music from our guy, Manakis, with the Black Sheep Optimist down here in Austin, Texas. We will catch y'all later. Peace. Every time I get this high, I lose my mind. It don't take much no more. Until I hit the floor. Every time I get this high, it's you I find. It don't take much no more. Until I'm at your door. You cut me to my core, baby. What can I say? You got me on the floor, you know I came to play I know I shouldn't, but you seem to take my pain away And every time I score, Jason Tatum fade away I close my-